O loving and wonderful Creator, God, you know us so completely. You dwell within us fully because that is your nature. You create us in love. Your nature is love. Therefore, you dwell fully within love. And our task as humans is to awaken to your fullness that is inside us and also manifested in the beautiful creation around us. Love communicating to love eternally. We ask that you bless this talk and this presentation and help us to have our hearts and minds opened and, and receptive. And help me to say not so many words, but not my words, but rather your words coming through me. Amen. So we're going to do part two, um, the universal Christ, God comes disguised as our life. And that was originally quoted by um, a beautiful uh, author named Paula D'Arcy. And um, you can Google her and find her books um, that are really, really amazing. So what first thing I want to do is to re refresh and relook at this shape here. Uh, this is the very flow. This is kind of how all of life flows at the energetic level. And God's spirit is everywhere. And God's spirit has structure. Because the very nature of manifestation, the very nature of creation, the very nature of your body has a structure. You're not just a blob. <laughs> you have bones, you have everything, a structure. Well, this is the structure, this torus, it's what's called a torus. It's a field of energy and it's seen everywhere from uh, the way light, like a light frequency, is, looks like this. A magnetic frequency, like a magnet, looks like this. They've taken pictures of protons, you know, in, in microscope and go all the way down. It looks like this. They're even doing uh, some energy uh, scientists, like especially with connected with what's called the HeartMath Institute. HeartMath, HeartMath is one word, HeartMath Institute. Um, can actually do some measurements of even different feelings. And we all have this, this is how it is with us too. And you can kind of get a sense of it. Like, have you ever walked into a room and you didn't feel quite safe or you feel like there was something off here? And you can't really explain it, maybe on a cognitive level, but it, your intuition says something. What maybe you're picking up if it's not some level of energy? And uh, it's God in you picking up the energy of someone else. And let me say it this way. Um, you know, in Genesis, it is said that we are made in the image and likeness of God. You've heard that before? We are made in the image and likeness of God. 
One way to think of this is that we are all made in the image of God, but it takes our awakening to come to the likeness of God. In other words, you are already a beautiful image of God. You have God within you already. But it takes a lifetime of struggle of how to love for our likeness to match our image. So to give you an example, um, let's say, uh, I hope this isn't too controversial to say, but let's say you've got somebody like um, Martin Luther King and somebody like Hitler. They're both made in the image of God. They're both children of God. Equally. But you might say Martin Luther King is much more the likeness of God. And Hitler was not like the likeness of God. See? So, we already are beautiful, wonderful beings. And we have to learn how to tap into the Holy Spirit inside and allow our lives to conform with our image of God so that our likeness becomes more and more like our image of God. Um, but, but again, if that, if that brings up questions, hold them, hold them and write them down and send them to Katie or to myself. All right, we're going to move on. <clears throat> this is straight from Scripture. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. People are without excuse of, of seeing is, is what the context is. And what, what Paul is saying in this in his letter to the Romans is that, look, God has already revealed God's self through nature. Clearly seen and understood for what has being made. If you want to know the divine nature of God, look at creation. And, and it's true at the biggest part and it's true at the smallest part. And I put these together so you can see what, we're just, just some examples. Look, there's a lung on the left on this image with all of its branches. And look at this tree on the right. Oh my God. Just, it, do you see? A tree is huge, long is small, but look, it's the same shape. It's the same kind of patterns. Look at this. You ever heard of the golden ratio? Same thing. We have a, a galaxy. We have a flower. We have a plant that actually grew in the golden ratio. Look at the hurricane. Look at the cactus. Look at the shell. They're exactly the same thing. From the galactic to the shell, exactly the same pattern. So what I'm trying to show you here is that God, uh, God's first Bible is nature. 
look at this. Look at the top um, pictures. We have the brain cell and we have the universe. Look at that. The brain cell on the left has a center part and then all of these little nerves that are going out and they're all electric because that's what nerves do is they run electricity through our bodies. So you have a cluster here that's sort of really bright and you have all of these nerves coming out of it. Well, look at this picture of the universe. There's a cluster here in the middle and then all of these filaments, stars that are all connected somehow. Isn't that amazing? And then look down here. Um, on the left, we have um, the sun. And if you were to map out the orbits of Earth and Mars and Venus and Mercury, they all kind of follow these orbits that mimic the orbits of the atom, where you have electrons that are orbiting the nucleus, which is made up of protons and neutrons. So here we have the galactic, which is the outer space, to the complete microscopic. Same patterns. And what I want to show with you is that this doesn't just include physical reality, but it includes human reality. So I'm going to read these two things out loud. These One is Richard Rohr, and the other one is one of Richard Rohr's good friends. Um, her name is, she's a nun, a Catholic Franciscan nun named Elia Delio, and her books are amazing. I'm going to read them slowly. So just listen to the words. The title of this slide is called The Pattern of Loss and Renewal. Richard says, I believe the Christian faith is saying that the pattern of transformation is always death transformed, not death avoided. The universal spiritual pattern is death and resurrection, or loss and renewal, if you prefer. That is always a disappointment to humans because we want one without the other, transformation without cost or surrender. And then Elia Delio says, Christianity can help us realize that death and resurrection are part of the evolutionary path towards wholeness. Letting go of isolated existence for the sake of deeper union. Something dies, but something new is born. Which is why the chaos of our time is, in a strange way, a sign of hope. Something new is being born within. Mm -hmm. Out of chaos, a star is born. Breakdown can be breakthrough if we recognize a new pattern of life struggling to emerge. Wow, what... What amazing words, huh? And these are two uh, very famous, very smart theologians that are saying the very heart of the Christian message is dying and rising. And that it, it is our learning how to die well. 
is a way that we can rise in our daily lives. And it doesn't, I don't mean necessarily, I don't mean physical death. I mean, uh, for example, and we'll talk about this next week when we get into the anchored self and floating self and the and then maybe after that, the Enneagram, because these are all ways that we can understand how we can learn how to die with grace. But have you ever been uh, <clears throat> smack dab in the middle of a life situation that you are completely powerless to change? Yeah. Have you ever been in a place where you are maybe arguing with somebody or have the same kinds of fights that are happening between you and a loved one, um, maybe a child or maybe a partner. And it's like, my God, why can't we get past this? <laughs> uh, well, it's often because there is something going on inside me that I have to realize, I have to awaken to how I stop a flow and then I have to become vulnerable to admit my own fault in this. And that's an always a kind of dying. It's an always a kind of suffering to be able to admit that I am playing a part in this problem. And I have to own those parts. And that it always feels like a death. But if I do it, if I do it well, if I do it with integrity, if I fully admit my own uh, loss of control, even in my own behavior. That is the very breakthrough that is needed to move us into a new life. Or as Elia Delio says, a new pattern of life that is struggling to emerge. So just to, just to put it in very stark Christian terms, and we're going we're gonna to return to this in, today, actually, in the last few slides. Um, first, the cross. First, you have to, we have to admit that we are called to follow our own cross, our own dying. And that's what Jesus says. If you're going to be my follower, you're going to have to take up the cross. And that means often take up the areas of, of inside myself where I'm blind. And when I am being persecuted or when I'm being attacked to not immediately jump in the defense because that just keeps negativity transmitting itself. But rather holding it in intention, wanting to fight back, but saying to myself, what am I not seeing? Holding that long enough, that is the equivalent of being on the cross naked. I'm naked upon the moment of not knowing who's right here, who is correct. And then if you do that well, and there's different ways to do that, we'll get into that um, in the next couple of weeks. If you do that well, then you end up living into a resurrection. It's a new you, a new form of your seeing, a new way to see, a new conversion, a new repentance. And what's really interesting, and I'll just drop this right now, and we'll return to it later, uh, Apparently, the Greek word for repentance or conversion doesn't didn't mean, oh, I have to admit all my sins or I have to 
you know, convert to this Christian faith or that way of thinking, whatever. No, the Greek word meant meta, was metanoia, metanoia. Meta means change or expand. And noia is the heart. And the Greeks understood that noia is actually, they use the word noia for thinking because for them, it's to put your mind in your heart and see from there. In other words, don't just see particularities. Don't just see the black and white. Don't just see with blinders on. But when we see from the heart, we are seeing a more holistic picture. And that is a change that, that we change our mind, we expand our mind. So really, when it says convert, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Way to understand that, I'm not saying it's the only way, but one good way to understand that is stop the narrow way that we are seeing right now. This fighting tit for tat, you do this, so I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to be aggressive or passive aggressive. Uh, stop that. Because the kingdom of God is happening right now. But the only way you're going to see that is with an open mind. So change our way of seeing. That's metanoia. And we can only get there if we, that resurrection, if we learn how to die on the cross of our life. Okay, um, <clears throat> so here we go. Death and resurrection, loss and renewal. Richard Rohr said the very pattern of life is dying and rising, losing and gaining, giving and receive, giving to receive. And Jesus, if you want to know what God is doing or how God's nature is, Look at the life of Jesus. Richard Rohr talks about how Jesus is the living icon, the, a particular icon of a universal truth. Um, in other words, it's too big to understand. God is too big to understand. You see, did you see what earlier when I showed you the hurricane or the galaxy following the spiral and then this little thing over here, a snail, or when I, when I showed you how the planets orbit and then the same orbit exists in an atom, what generation had access to that except for us? <laughs> Nobody. You see, so um, it's not that the ancients didn't see patterns. They saw them better than we did. But the scientific mind uh, emphasized this um, critical thinking, which is all good, but in individual specific things, and we lose sometimes the pattern from which they come. The point of um, one huge point of Jesus' life is Jesus says, look, if you want to know the Father, if you want to know God, if you want to know how it's all work, all working, if you want to know what reality, capital R, is, watch me, imitate me, come in relationship with me. And I'll show you, not just with concepts like uh, what like Doug is doing, <laughs> trying to just know them with concepts, but rather a heart connection, a metanoia 
a conversion of the heart. Conversion meaning opening and seeing bigger. But first we have to learn to die just like Jesus did. And then death done well leads to resurrection, loss and renewal. Look at this in nature. Do we see loss and, and renewal in nature? Well, let's go to galactic level. Uh, if you'll see in the middle of this image, we have this huge, massive, what's called a star-forming nebula. It's a, just a nebulous cloud of all kinds of elemental particles, superheated, super complex. And what scientists have identified is that there are two different trajectories that stars can become. We have like a sun-like star, so those things start out as protostars, and then they become like our sun, and then they become, you know, billions of years later, they become, or maybe millions, many millions, a red giant. Red giant star, uh, our star will at some point be so big that it'll completely engulf all of the inner planets. It'll be gone, because it'll be just inside the star. The edge of the sun will be way out to like Uranus or something. Then eventually, the red giant blows all of its gas out. And what, what stays is this thing called a planetary nebula. It's a smaller version of the star-forming nebula from which it come, came. And then eventually, that it blows all the gases out again, and it becomes a little bitty white dwarf. So that's one way... Um, stars can form. Another one is like these things called uh, massive stars. So they become protostars and they become a huge massive star. Then they become a super red giant. And then they have what's called a supernova and it's an explosion. And then if the, gravi the gravity is so concentrated that it comes back together into a neutron star and the neutron stars are so compacted that you could take a spoon of it of a neutron star, and it would be the weight of all the oceans in the world, something like that. But even if they're even if more compacted, they become a black hole, which science hasn't even figured out how to really measure black holes. I guess they're trying. The point is, though, is that look at the life cycle. They start out in the star-forming nebula. They come around. They they live. They die. What do you think a, a planetary nebulae is, or a supernova, they blow up, they die. And then all of that gas, all of that stuff that gets ejected, well, it all starts to clump together to form another star forming nebula. Mm -hmm. So for example, what scientists often say now is that the carbon that makes up our bodies, because life is mostly carbon, carbon-based life. I mean, if you want to know what if you want to know what stars are, look at your hands. Look, look at the person in the mirror. Because they say that for our human bodies to exist, three stars have had to die, had to be born, live, and die, eject all their stuff out, and then that comes together. Stars get formed, live, die, boom, formed, live, die, boom. Three times before the elements are complex enough to create what has emerged in creation as life. In other words, you and I are the product of the dying, 
and rising, dying and rising, dying and rising, loss and renewal of three stars. And you are the transform, you are the resurrection, if you will. You are the resurrected form of stars. We are stardust. Creation is stardust. Resurrected. Okay, how about this? Butterflies. So we have the caterpillar, which just chilling on the ground, eating the leaves. Um, at some point, the caterpillar says it's time to transform. What do we call this process, by the way? Somebody say it out loud. Metamorphosis. And what does meta mean? Change. Change, expand. And morphosis means shape. Metamorphosis, metanoia, expand, change. So we have a caterpillar chilling. We have eggs move to a caterpillar. The caterpillar starts to create its cocoon, and there's several stages there. And do you know what happens when that when the caterpillar is is in the middle part of the cocoon? Um, apparently, scientists can say. I guess they've stuck little cameras in there. I'm not sure how they figured it out fully, but they um, realize that a caterpillar actually completely liquefies. The body completely liquefies. It becomes caterpillar juice. Completely liquefying. We're talking liquid. And then it rearranges itself, becoming a butterfly. Completely different creature. I mean, there's almost no resemblance. And the, and the caterpillar was on the ground and the butterfly is able to fly throughout the whole earth. So believe it or not, um, the ancients often saw the life cycle of the butterfly as very spiritual because you have the pattern of loss and renewal right there. The dying and rising, the caterpillar had to die to its freedom to become, uh, to liquefy, completely rearranged. I mean, have you ever had something so hard in your life that it just totally rearranged you in some ways? You overcame some trauma or some abuse or something or a divorce or your parents' divorce or something that was like, there's a before and after. Well, that's not unlike being in the cocoon there. But if, you, if we learn to listen to our dying and do it well, or listen to our suffering, we emerge, we emerge renewed, transformed. How about this? Um, in earth, we've got death and resurrection, loss and renewal. This is the same tree in the middle. On the left side, we have it as uh, bare, no leaves, stark. Um, it's got snow all around it. It looks dead cold, same tree, same year, spring, well, I guess the following year, but we've got leaves, everything, same tree. And the leaves won't come around unless they fall out. So there's, autumn is a time of dying. Fall is the time of dying. And then there's winter, death. That's kind of the equivalent of Jesus being in the tomb. I mean, the leaves are there. They're, they're just, you know, not formed yet. Kind of like Jesus being in the tomb. 
not out. And then eventually the resurrection of the leaves comes out in the springtime and Jesus exemplifies what God is always doing and has always done through this resurrection. Now, let's look at uh, let's look at humans. So we have death and resurrection, loss and renewal, and relationships. People, this is no different from the stars being born in a nebulous, star nebulous, and then going through a life cycle and then dying and exploding and then returning. This is no different than the um, caterpillar becoming a butterfly. All of that pattern is in us. It has to be. If it's one truth, if there's one God, one reality, it has to be everywhere. So this is true in our relationships. Where, again, we may have a real problem with uh, our own insecurities. Or maybe we're, um, maybe we're with somebody who's got insecurities. and I mean, who doesn't have insecurities? <laughs> but... You know, and a lot of times what is the fighting is going on. If you can imagine an iceberg, if everybody can picture in your mind an iceberg, and the very top of the iceberg is sticking above the water, and that would be the equivalent of, let's say, your consciousness. Below the water, an increasing depth, the darker and darker and darker it goes because it's way down below the water. This is the unconscious in a spectrum, a spectrum of, I think I know there's an issue, but I'm not ready to look at it. That's just below the water. And then all the way down to the very darkest part of the water that we can't even, we don't even know what's there. We don't know what we don't know. But most of the time when we are getting into the cycles of fighting or arguments with people, um, it's because what's taking place, the words and the fights are taking place above the water in the conscious level, I'm choosing the words, my behavior, I'm choosing to behave a certain way. I'm choosing how to, to interpret your words. And we're butting heads, but really it's not the heads that are butting. Actually, it's below the water where the icebergs unconscious, your unconscious and my unconscious and they're bumping and friction down here. But because we're not aware of what's going on below the water, we don't know how to address it. And because we don't know how to address it, we repeat the same patterns of problematic behavior over and over again. See? And when there's ever true healing, I'm not just talking about healing where you, you put a Band-Aid over something and you agree to disagree uh, on big issues or, um, you know, if, if I always lose a fight, then I know I've learned that I'm just going to say yes, just so we can get past it, because I know they're not going to change, you know, that kind of thing. That's not real healing. Now, it might be a necessary defense mechanism for a time, but, but it's not healing. But when there is true healing, when there's true renewal, there's always a kind of conversation or dialogue that's happening between, let's say, two people, where they each person is going down 
in the unconscious becoming vulnerable. I'm going to risk being vulnerable with you. That's me on the cross. That's me admitting my crucifixion, my vulnerability. I am naked and vulnerable in front of you because I realize I am participating in a blockage of the flow of our love. And the other person's doing the same thing. Vulnerability. And all of a sudden, for the first time, there's a breakthrough where two people can connect at a deeper level because they're actually, for the first time, being honest with themselves. Not that they were being deceitful on purpose. Sometimes we are, though. But more because we didn't know that we were being deceitful. Because most of our life has been lived from the top of the iceberg. So we often do die. We're often on the cross. But that just because you're on the cross doesn't mean you're going to live into resurrection. What happens is, is if we don't learn a lesson, God says, okay, God's infinitely patient because infinite time is available. <laughs> uh, and so God will just say, okay, you didn't learn that one. So it's a packaging up of the, cat the catalyst, you know, whatever brought you to this pain. If you didn't learn the lesson, it's bottling up, packaging up, and then later on, giving it back to you in a different way, but it'll usually the lesson's the same if we're looking for it. And we'll keep getting this lesson until it's not necessary anymore because somehow it's broken us open and you know you're hitting upon it when it leads you to metanoia. It leads you and me to metanoia. And remember, metanoia is changing of the heart-mind, changing of our way of seeing. I'm able to see myself with more compassion. I can see you with more compassion. You know, may maybe my, my mom was the way she was because of some real pain that she's gone through. Maybe I can give her some compassion there. I don't have to like people's behavior, but I certainly can understand it better. You see? Um, so, loss and renewal in relationships. And we're going to talk more about this next week. So, I, I'm planting little seeds. Now, check this out. This is another way to understand this. Uh, here we have the pattern of transformation. And it's a diagram that I created um, that I'm calling the old room, the new room, and the liminal space between. You can see that. And so in the old room, that's the blue little area on the left side of this, this um, diagram. That's going to be the old room. And the old room is like the status quo of your life. For example, uh, I mean, there's a million different old rooms. And we all, and old rooms aren't bad. But let's say, for example, um, I have a drinking problem. And um, I, it's, it's becoming aware. I'm becoming aware. It's moving up from the just below the water on the, on the iceberg to now into my lower areas of my conscious mind. And I realize there's a problem. Uh, but I'm still in the old room. I'm still going to be drinking. And then let's say I get a DUI. Or let's say I'm having problems with my wife because of the, my drinking. Um. So then I get thrust out into what's called liminal space. 
The liminal space would be um, <clears throat> that place in the middle. Liminal comes from the Latin word uh, limens or lumens, and it means threshold. Threshold. Threshold is like um, in some houses in the north. There's not so much in the south here because um, we don't wear typically boots coming in from the snow. <laughs> but you'll see them in farmhouses sometimes in, in here in, in this area, Texas. But in the north, you'll see them a lot more where um, you'll have like a room that you go and you sit down, you take off your shoes, your muddy boots, you put up your hat and you know coat and stuff. And then once all of that is like out, then you walk into the house. Can anybody picture this, what I'm talking about? That's a little bit like the liminal space. It's, it's a threshold. It's a, it's a space between the old room and the new room. Okay. And the old room of in, going back to this, um, this idea of drinking, the old room is like, okay, my old patterns weren't working for me. I was causing problems. I wasn't happy. Um, I'm in liminal space now because I don't want to go back, but I don't sure as heck don't know how to live without drinking. It's so uncomfortable. Liminal space is almost never comfortable. It's almost always uncomfortable. But here's the crazy thing. That is the only place of transformation. Liminal space is the crucifixion place. Liminal space is the place of crucifixion. But here's the thing. Most people, myself in included, we don't like liminal space, so we go back to the old room. We go back. So like, let's say I know I'm an alcoholic or maybe I'm, I'm drinking too much. I leave liminal, I get into liminal space, I try it out for a little bit, but then I'm like, my mind plays tricks. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go back. So then we go back into the old room and then we redecorate it. And it's like, why the heck did I ever leave in the first place? This stuff is good. <laughs> we fool ourselves. Can you think of this in a relationship? People have really hard times getting out of a very abusive relationship when they kind of know they should. People have told them they should. They've even tried to set boundaries. There's a honeymoon phase. Then they go back to the old room. Then the old room starts to, I don't care how you decorate it, it becomes too small. Because once you've made up your mind to leave at some level, alcoholism, addictions, toxic relationships, whatever it is. Uh, at some point, you're like, uh -uh. I, I, I know what being out of here looks like, and this room is too small. You remember going back to your elementary school class, and it was like, holy cow, I didn't realize the cafeteria was so small. Anybody ever had that experience? Because I used to think it was so big, so small. The chairs are so small. So... It's like that, um, <clears throat> but if we can handle the liminal space, and liminal space is the only place where we can break open enough, okay? This is our cocoon time, when you're getting, re -li getting liquefied. <laughs> your, your, your life is liquefied, and there's two things that do it, it's, and it's a pressure that liquefies you, and the pressure is great love and great suffering. Now, great love is enough to bring you to that place of liminal space. And that sometimes is like where, have you ever had it where somebody forgave you even though you didn't feel like you were worthy of being forgiven? Um, or a mentor in your life 
where they were so they loved you for you and they didn't they could they were so in their own true self that they didn't they weren't swayed by your immature actions they're a mentor i love you anyways and and let's what do you want to do with your life do you want to move forward i'm going to help you but it's a <clears throat> such a great love of of acceptance and it's kind of rare but that can be enough for us to break open and sometimes people experience this from god to be honest but mostly for us it's great suffering and suffering is not to be feared in fact let me let me just insert this right now apparently in the bible it says uh, be not afraid or fear not, something along those times, 365 times between the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures. 365 times, that's once, one per day. Somewhere it says, be not afraid. But then it's kind of interesting because you notice that Jesus was certainly afraid in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before Jesus was crucified, Jesus went to the Garden and apparently was so you know, scared and didn't want to go through it, you know, let father, let this cup pass me by, but if it's your will, I, I'll do it. Uh, but he sweat blood. That, that's, that's in the Bible. And it's certainly the, the story. Uh, but here he was being afraid when, whenever Jesus himself says, be not afraid. How do you put that together? Well, what if we were to translate, be not afraid to be not afraid of being afraid? I, um, Doug, I heard once, uh, a Beth Moore quote that I really liked about that exact thing. Mm -hmm. And, and she said that when Jesus walked through humanity, it was so that we would have God, uh, a relationship with God where he knew it was scary to be us, to have that trust, right? Like, yeah, isn't that beautiful um, to have this conception that some level of uh, the great universal divine reality that is always and everywhere there uh, shares in the brokenness and fear of our humanity so that we have a sense that God is, is absolutely incarnated and rooted in our very life. And what I want to just add what you just said, I want to put a comma behind what you, I don't want to put a period. I want to put a comma because second part of that sentence was, or could be, and God is always, this divine reality has always been incarnating as dying and rising because that's the very way love goes. Like if anybody has kids in this group, the moment your kid is born is the moment you're starting your heart to break. And every time your kid grows and goes through a stage, you celebrate it, but you're also like, oh my God, I'm also sad. <laughs> or every time you go and check on your kid at night, I have three of them, so I know. Every time you go check on your kid at night, sometimes when they're, and they're sleeping and your heart just fills up with so much, like I can't love any more than right now. My God, I love, I would die for you. I love you this much. But then it's simultaneously, but I don't know what I would do if you died. Okay, dying and rising, suff loving, love, love is suffering love. <laughs> uh, there is no such thing as, as manifestation, whether it's um, 
uh-oh, we paused again. Can you, can you got me? Okay, there's no such thing as manifestation, whether that's a star or an atom or a, or a hurricane or a snail shell or a butterfly, uh, winter or spring. There's no such thing as manifestation if it doesn't go through dying and rising. That's what I'm trying to say. And so Jesus didn't start something new as much as Jesus revealed what was always going on, but we could not see it. Our mind could not see it. Our hearts could not see it. Humanity hadn't developed to a level to be able to, uh, in a sense, begin to grasp the universal nature of how love flows. And so Jesus came in the fullness of time as kind of an insert point um, to inject uh, a 33-year living icon. And the word icon means um, something in a particular place, in a particular time, that has universal um, meaning to it. So, for example, um, if you look at a blade of grass... Uh, one blade of grass is the universal of all blades of grass. You don't have to study every single blade of grass that has ever existed. Uh, all grasses, you can study one grass and get a whole lot. Um, moreover, you can study a blade of grass and how it grows, how it seed grow, dies in the wintertime, the seed remains and then grows, dies, you see? And so you now you have the life cycle of a blade of grass and you can say, that's all of life, that's all of reality comes from this, my understanding of now is through this one blade of grass, I'm all of a sudden grasping the very nature of reality, this dying and rising, but the seed of love is always there, always being transformed and renewed. You see? We don't need to be afraid of our liminal spaces in our life because if we've learned to live the cycle enough, we've learned that they always lead to resurrections, like, like this. Um, we have the cross in the middle, liminal space. They always lead to resurrection. Okay? They always lead to resurrection. But notice something. Did Jesus come back? When, when Jesus uh, emerged from the tomb, a resurrected body, what was in Jesus' hands? Nails. Isn't that interesting that Jesus' nails, Jesus emerged in, you know, a perfected body, if you will, the resurrected body. Apparently he could move through walls and, you know, all this stuff, but he had the wounds. So that means you will always have the wounds of your uh, liminal spaces, of your crucifixions. You're always going to carry that pain with you to some degree, but it's precisely through the pain have you come to your resurrection, but you'll always have them. Wow. And don't, don't be afraid of that. So when you learn to live that cycle enough, you're going to learn that you don't have to be afraid of being afraid. Okay? So we're going <clears> to... <throat> there's only three or four slides left. We're going to stop here and um, pick up next week when we introduce the anchored self, floating self, because we're going to really bring that message home um, so that you can see in your own life how Christ is living inside you 
in your own dying and rising and dying and rising, and that your image of God has always been holy. Whole. The word in English is whole. Holy. You've always been, the image of God has always been holy and whole, but our likeness in God runs a spectrum between very broken, very hurt, and hurt people hurt people, all the way to the other side of being a chosen reality of living in this broken world, this world that seems like it's broken and, and problematic, but actually learning to love and accept the world, not as we want it to be, but as it is, and love in any ways. And that actually brings us into a connection between the likeness of God and the image of God in ourselves. Because apparently God doesn't mind brokenness. That's the whole shape of reality. The dying and rising. Okay? So I hope that this was uh, a challenging group. Uh, you know, challenging information. I hope it was invitational. I hope it, it made you think. Maybe, maybe it made you feel a little bit uh, warm inside as you think about your life, that, that God has been radically with you this whole time. And we're going to continue. So I'm going to put this on um, the podcast, or I'm going to give you the uh, audio along with all the slides so you can have them. And I do recommend that you maybe go through this again before next week. Yes. But thank you very much for your attention, and uh, it's it's a pleasure being here and being with you. So maybe if I could just close out into a prayer really quick and a blessing. <clears throat> oh, loving and beautiful God, whose triune nature says that you transcend us, you incarnate as the material world, and you indwell, you dwell within the material world, this triune dynamic in everything, transcendence, embodiment, and indwelling. And this very nature of reality flows in the flow of dying and rising, loss and renewal, and we should not be afraid of the losses the liminal spaces in our life because they always lead to resurrection if we can allow them to break into our life. If we can allow those moments to open our hearts. So that's what we ask this week is that we learn to surrender upon the crosses in our life and to allow you to do something new inside us, inside the cocoon, so that we become our own version of the butterfly on the other side, the resurrected self. Amen.